Hello, my name is Curtis Merriweather Jr. You are listening to the Business Theologist Podcast. This podcast is for new and seasoned business professionals looking to uncover knowledge gems. This podcast is unlike other business podcasts because we endeavor to create a synergistic relationship between business, management, scholarship, and theology. In addition to being an executive leader, I am also a doctoral candidate. The insights shared on this podcast will give you an edge over the competition. Whether you're an entrepreneur, entrepreneur, or executive leader, or someone looking to change careers, I invite you to travel along this learning journey with me. Buckle up and let's get ready for the ride. Let's go. So today, thank you guys for joining the Business Theologist podcast. I have a special treat for you guys today. I have none other than Norris Kruger. Norris Kruger is an entrepreneurial thinker, a doer, scholar, writer, agent provocateur, and most of all, champion. Bringing together great entrepreneurship education, learning with bottom-up, entrepreneur-led ecosystem building. Today, Norris primarily coaches and mentors entrepreneurs, but he started out as an investment banker focused on portfolio strategy and forecasting. Now he admits that he was he that he was initially a physicist from Caltech. So I'm interested to learn more about Norris and hear his story and how he's progressed into what we have known and learned about him today as an academic and entrepreneurial creator. So welcome Norris. How are you doing today, man? I, I'm doing well. When anytime a theologist, even a business theologist uh, calls me, I have to, uh, you know, uh, get my prayer rug out. And, uh, <laughs> but I, one of the things I, I, I occasionally like to do, which every once in a while gets me in deep trouble, okay. is welcome brothers and sisters. Okay. <laughs> the church of the entrepreneur. That's right. Can I have a positive cash flow? Yes. Absolutely. And need the funny thing is flow. the people who are the devoutly religious, you know, whether they're Catholic, Mormon, Muslim, they, they all just think that's hilarious. And the people who are like, well, I am deeply, I am not religious, but deeply spiritual, I'll look offended, which is, I don't understand that. If I understood that, I could be a stand-up comic, I think, but, uh, but, but not getting that. But it's just my whole, in hindsight, uh, you know, my, my life has sort of led me to, to, to this point. And it, each step seemed like an accident at the time. So, but maybe there is, there is some, the universe has some, uh, has some, some purpose there. Knowing that the first time I was an entrepreneur, I didn't even, I really didn't know what the word meant. And it was very accidental, very accidental is that, I, I had been working for this investment banking firm as a research nerd. I was hardly a banker. Uh, I was a lackey, a minion. But I, the consulting firm hired me, and I didn't know that I was hired to be the acting CEO. Because if they told me, I wouldn't have, I'd run away. And that it was one of those things where, uh, Curtis, do you have a dog? I don't have a dog. A cat? 
No, no pets. Oh, okay. Well, Matt, my dog could have could have turned around this business. I mean, they were just doing like, okay, do everything different, <laughs> 180 degrees and everything, and we'll we'll make money. And and it eventually led me into uh, grad school at Ohio State uh, with uh, the late Al Shapiro. So it's but it's sort of interesting because I just uh, I, I spent times poking into different worlds, but I've never done consistently more interesting people who are competent and passionate. And probably the most colossal jerks I've ever met are also, I've, I've run across. Uh, there are people who they feel like, you know, they want to own entrepreneurship, whether it's at a university or in a, in a community. But the reality is, um, Curtis said, in your, <clears throat> if you've taken a class on leadership, uh, you may have heard a, a Stanford professor, Bob Sutton. He's an expert on bad bosses. And he has one simple rule, no assholes. Don't, and don't be one yourself. Uh, right. and don't tolerate it. And I thought, oh. And I just, you know, I told people, well, the bad news is, you know, even here in Boise, once a month, I meet at least one raging asshole. But every week, I meet two or three great people. And no matter where I go, you know, I think maybe that's just a fundamental truth of the human of, of the human condition is, yeah, there are jerks out there, but they're noticeable. You have to look a little bit. If you look, dig just a little bit, they're just amazing people, one after another. That, and you never know. You don't know what they know. You don't know who, who they know. My parents always said, you can learn from anyone. So go learn, which has led to... My girlfriend going, oh, God, you're talking to people on elevators again. <laughs> but we all, it seems like every, every time, or even just like a buddy, like, oh, you're going to just talk to everybody. They're going to think, and, and it turns out an hour later, we need someone to do us a favor, and it was the guy on the elevator. Maybe there, you know, maybe there is this, a divine purpose to <laughs> Uh, make a lot of friends, annoy the right people, and go for long walks. That's good stuff. Anyway, I, that's probably the Buddhist angle of all this. Anyway, so what it, you said you have a bunch of questions and yes. you're going to, uh, to, to, to baffle me with. I, I want to know, before we even get into it, I want to know how did you become the Norris Kruger Academy of Management, Boise ecosystem developer. What led to this? Well, I, I was sort of touching on it. Is that it seems like every step, everything I've done is kind of tilted in, uh, tilted me in, into this direction. If I was a physicist, they'd say, "Well, all the vectors, the resultant vector of all the other vectors of influencing my life, has inevitably has inevitably left there." But I think. Where I've been successful is where I've said yes, um, or at least yes and, and you know just following what seems to be to be interesting. That taking a chance, you know, that it, it it doesn't really feel like taking a chance. I mean, that's the great thing about both the academic world and the entrepreneurial world is, you know, is opportunity is often disguised as chaos. Or a problem that wondering, I, you know, my 
sort of the, on the academic side is that I did a dissertation, my dissertation at Ohio State, I did an experimental design. Best experiment I'd ever done in my life. Absolutely great results. And Rui goes, that's nice, but we don't care. Besides, entrepreneurship doesn't do experimental research. But I had gathered data in the process about entrepreneurial intentions uh, to distract them in the middle of the experiment. So I wrote, wrote up the results for a small conference. I got best paper. Wow. Oh, yeah, $250 in quarters in a box. And then I had to buy drinks. So I ended up with like $8 left at <laughs> a cardboard box. But it happened again. And people raised the market was saying, maybe saying, I don't care about experiments, no matter how beautiful they are. But this is something that's interesting. And it was an enabling technology for, for others. You know, the, the joke, one of the things I learned at, at Caltech was no one's, act, very few people are happy for you if you win the Nobel Prize. They'll say all the right things, but they're jealous. They're going to be jealous. Unless, you know, they already have one, have one of their own. It makes it a little easier. And I see people in academe and in, man, in the management side, at least, that it's, 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 it, there is a lot of envy and there's a lot of issues. But unless, of course, St. Norris, I can use your tool and get published. And, you know, thumbs up and like, want a beer? And it's like, interesting. And I've seen this in, in other things. So one of the things that drives me is, is something that you, from my parents to Al Shapiro, well, I've been always pushed to be, do stuff that's useful. It's great if it advances theory. If it's great if it advances uh, empirical research. But it's also great if it's, if it's useful in practice. And a lot of what we do in entrepreneurship really applies. It applies weirdly in one sense, in the micro, it applies to education and the macro in, into ecosystems. But having that sort of engaged scholarship mindset, uh, I think has been, very, has been very helpful because it's led me, uh, I, I'm driven by the first talk I ever heard in my, as a college student, before freshman year even started at Caltech was the great Nobel laureate physicist Richard Feynman, right? And he was talking about how you do great research. Right. So it's nice if you have a lot of resources. It's all nice if you've got a team. It's really good if you have some skills. But the difference maker is, did you have a great fucking question? Right. And, you know, you, know, you know, a college freshman from small town Ohio, who he was the F word. But it was very good at using language to sort of you know, keep you focused on what's important. And what's important is asking those truly great questions. So that's why I asked, why I asked you, you know, your question for your research. You, it sounds like you have found a great question, something that matters to you and something that matters to other people, maybe a lot of people, that it has implications, probably has some implications for theory, have implications for future re future research, but my God, this could save lives right. and save a lot of aggravation, uh, in a, which is costly in a medical setting because the more you distract and aggravate medical personnel, you know that's going to have you know that increases their cognitive load, right? So 
I mean, okay, that's just that. I, I can't believe people don't understand the cognitive load concept. It gives me a bias here, but I think that you have that great question that matters. They'll keep you going through the, you know, the rough spots. And you'll never know what that might, how that might pop up. Now, you, you say you, you told me you have a spouse? House passed away in oh, no. 2014, which is actually what fueled the research question of trying to figure out how to, how does the, how does the health IT systems influence um, diagnostic decision-making? Well, uh, may I ask her name? Her name was Renee. Renee? since remarried, but, but that spouse is actually what drove that research. Oh, okay. Well, Renee, look down on, on, on Curtis. And try not to laugh too much. <laughs> so what does your new wife do? Um, she is a cosmetology instructor. Oh, so she's a teacher. Yes. So you could, you know, she understands cognitive load as well. Right. See, God has a sense of humor. He does. Uh, but anyway, that is, a, uh, I'm, I'm probably over answering this, but, but fundamentally is when, uh, my regrets are not of the things I've done, no matter how stupidly I might have done them. My regrets are things I didn't do. So I've tried to say, okay, here's an interesting opportunity. Let's uh, pursue that. And <clears throat> I've had to learn that, you know, that you can be overly persistent, that, you know, that obviously pursuing a great idea that isn't really an idea is something that entrepreneurs and scholars and educators all have to learn is at some point, um, you know, give up, <laughs> stop. And because you don't know whether you're being, you're a stubborn fool or a persistent hero, except in hindsight. Correct. And I just think sort of like there's a time value of money, there's a money value of time that, that, if I'm, you know, if I'm not managing my time well, then I, I don't have time to do podcasts like this. Right. Uh, I don't know. Is any of this helping you? Or no, it, it, this is good. What is what is your? Because you know you're the entrepreneurship scholar. You got the PhD in entrepreneurship. So what is your definition of entrepreneurship? <clears throat> well, it's a uh, my definition. I'm going to pick a definition. Two definitions. One is sort of more of a, a textbooky one, you know, that that is someone who's creating novel value for others, usually economic value, usually but not always economic value. That is about creating value. But when I last time I taught the entrepreneurship class years ago here in Boise, and I said, "Well, I'm not going to define entrepreneurship for you," which annoyed the students greatly. They wanted like something to write down. And I said, well, we're going to figure it out together. I just, it's not about making money. It's not even really about starting a business. And then they grumbled. And one day this sweet young, you know, Mormon house, young sweet Mormon housewife hadn't said three words the whole semester so far, pounds the desk and says, I know what it is. And I'm like, what? And that I know what entrepreneurship is. And everybody's sort of looking at her like, and I know she rehearsed it because it was just so theatrical. Yeah, it's about making cool shit happen. Wow. And I said, I am so stealing that. 
<laughs> but it is about, and it really, that's what, you know, that, I mean, entrepreneurship is at a very deep level. I mean, it, how do we help people to make cool stuff happen? Right. And, and maybe it won't turn out to be cool and maybe it won't happen, but as long as you learn along the way that, that, that works out. And I think to me, that's a good one. And I also used to say, so Curtis, let's start with the basic entrepreneur. Is that a noun or a verb? It's both. Oh, damn it. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah is you know, I joke is they'll go noun, noun prof. I go, no, it's a verb. It's all about action. And then I'm teaching a class in Athens, Greece, and the word this, the kids use for entrepreneur is a gerund. So it actually is, it is both a noun and a verb. And if you spell it wrong and change the Greek letters of epichiro to the Roman letters, it spells epic hero. Hmm. I said, okay, now there's an, it's, there's an extra letter. It's a letter they got left out, but you know, it's bad when people who, for whom English is their third or fourth language can do better, do better puns than I can. Uh, but this sort of notion is, well, if I ever have a coat of arms, you know, Epigero is going to be in there somewhere. I that is that and cool. I talk to people in elevators, but you can't do that in Latin because they didn't have elevators, <laughs> didn't have elevators and, that I know of. And, and that. But it's, it is about, it is about action, but it's about creating value and, and you know, if we can teach people we to, to create value for others if we can um, help them to do that effectively you know whatever the context whether it's in healthcare or a new tech venture family business uh, or even god help us in politics uh, that uh, you know i think that's a worthy cause for anybody and you know i haven't thought of any better ones so i think I don't think I'm going to. I don't think I'm going to solve quantum gravity. So, epic heroes are pretty good one. You know that leads me into another question. Okay. And you know, you coming from the or participating in various practical as well as from the academic space. Why does this is my personal opinion, which you may agree or disagree? Why does college? not properly. You could take an entrepreneurship program. You could be an entrepreneurship major and come out knowing nothing about entrepreneurship. Why is that? Well, <clears throat> in fact, it's funny. I just wrote a thing for the International Council for Small Business. They're doing their 2021 uh, global uh, education, entrepreneurship education report and saying, okay, what? well, part of it is how many, if you walked around the Weatherhead School, how many professors have had even one course on how to be an educator? Possibly, it could be possibly none. Um, it's not a question you want to raise at conferences because people throw things at you, and that and not beers. Uh, that that a big problem in that uh, is that we aren't using the tools that we you know. I was joking before we started about how you know, they're entrepreneurship educators and you ask them about cognitive load and there's like, none of them have heard, even heard of the term. And, it, you know, and I think that's about as basic as it gets in education. And they're often offended by that. 
I mean, it's less so an entrepreneurship because we have at least the conceit that we, we all want, you know, even if we're a researcher, we want to do great work with, this, with the students because we, you know, we, we, we can see that the impact we're going to have. Um, and then I think if we use the right pedagogy, you know, pedagogy, we've got a lot of tools that, oh, this is a cool exercise that we can do in class. And that it beats a poking eye with a sharp stick. But we don't know what the theory is behind it. We don't know how to assess whether it made a difference or not. You know, so, well, my class is great because everybody seemed happy. I got good teaching evaluations and the dean didn't fire me. That's really not good assessment of education. But we have, we, we want stealing from the education people. What is it that we're trying to, to change? And especially in the US, we go, we want to change everything. We want to teach them about entrepreneurship, sort of the nuts and bolts. We want to teach them about sort of change them so they think and act like an entrepreneur or they understand how, what entrepreneurship is in society. And the reality is we need, you know, is at least lesson by lesson focus. I mean, how many of your instructors actually have lesson plans like the school, a kindergarten teacher would have? Um, which is not as easy as they seem as, as, a, as a thought I, I learned to my, my own dismay. But, uh, what is it we're, you know, having the right, you know, tested tools built into a framework that has some, some object to it. And that means you need to have the educators themselves need to be trained. You need to have a, a healthy context and ecosystem around the, around the classes. But our, what is it we're, we're trying to change? And just getting, being straight about, we're trying to change the stuff in their head. Are we trying to change their skills? Are we trying to change their mindset, that deep cognitive stuff that I'm, I'm most fascinated by? Are we changing their behaviors? And one that we're actually better at than most, most education is that what do the external stakeholders want? What do the funders want? And I, I remember in the UK, there was a school that said, well, we got rewarded by our funders because our majors got hired. And like they got jobs in a boom economy. Yeah, well, there was one of those schools that were well, well known for, you know, degrees in basket weaving and you know, all these strange things that don't even qualify you to ask, do you want a prize for that? Uh, that every entrepreneurship major and minor had a job by the time they walked out of, of, of school. And, and I can remember in grad school at Ohio State that, you know, IBM would come by, we're gonna do their, their recruiting week at, at Ohio State. Give us a list of all your major, of your students. But IBM has a hiring freeze nationally. They said, yes, so what? We wanna be ready. And if there's someone badass, we're gonna, gonna hire them. They're like, interesting. Now, you know, it's less the case today. Supply chain management, actually, I know students had a 2.1 grade point major actually in beer, and they get hired at a good salary right out of school because they can make money for their, their, their employer day one because there's so much stupid stuff going on in the supply chain. Wow. They're so bad, I can see the problems. And I'm far from an expert. It is, I think that's what's happening is that there are still, there are a lot of people who they don't understand how to do the practical side, so they give them more theory. The problem is they may not be all that great. They may be 
behind the times on, on, on theory as well. That I think understanding that this is, you know, that the edu that education really is an educational, you know, it's a process, it's a, it's a system. And schools don't do a good job of rewarding people. That it's a little controversial, but in the UK, they, they, every school has something called, they are graded on this research excellence framework. How many of your, you know, how many of your faculty are doing A plus journals and A journals and blah, blah, Well, people were weirded out by that. So they now have a teaching excellence framework. No idea how they, how they assess that. But a school that's not a researchy school, you know, has a chance to shine and, and through that, you know, they, they have to reward the people who are pulling the curve up. Right. And, you know, because the joke here in the U.S. is there are two kinds of universities. That, that ultimately, there's a, there are research schools and there are teaching schools. You've yeah. heard this. Yes. The difference is a research school, they don't care about teaching. And at a teaching school, they don't care about research or teaching. Rimshot. Um, and the crediting body for 20 years ago, the crediting body for business schools, their guy throws that line out and everybody laughs. And then when all these deans and administrators going, I shouldn't have laughed at that. And part of it is we haven't been able to assess, you know, we haven't done a great job of assessing impact. And that, but that's the, the beauty of, of, of you know, entrepreneurship and innovation, and yeah, maybe supply chain management, is we can show impact. If we do these great experiential exercises, we can demonstrate that we did change their skills. We did change how they think at a very deep level. And clever exercise, um, if you've got to have a group of people, before you start the training, and you know about entrepreneurship innovation, like, okay, you got sixty seconds. Draw me an entrepreneur, and at the end of the training, have them do the same thing. Say, okay, what changed? And a lot of them go like, I don't know. You also find software guys can't draw worth crap, but it is staggering because it's more realistic. Wow. Now, if you drew up an entrepreneur, what did, what would that entrepreneur look like? I drew an entrepreneur, he would probably be, if you could even draw this, he would be innovative. He would probably be um, dressed very comfortably. Um, he would probably be at a table with other people. Um, okay, good. He would probably... Would he look like you? More than likely, yes. Yeah. And I, you know, having students like, you know, a young woman is drawing a picture of a guy, you know, like even their own classmates will give them grief. I, I had one where she's growing a guy with a beard. Turns out she was doing Richard Branson. Got it. Actually really well, mind you, but I mean, nice job. Uh, she had some skills there. But this notion is that it, it may be inaccurate. It, it, it may be distorted uh, in, in some weird ways. Like oftentimes a guy with a bag of money isn't necessarily. But I, I, I had an opportunity, a friend of mine, borrowed this and she's in the Middle East dealing with, with uh, women refugees who are necessity entrepreneurs and they don't they're not literate you can't really have them fill out a survey so she asked them to draw 
and they wouldn't stop drawing. I mean, it was basically they put out their whole role identity. And I'm standing at Academy Management, I think it was Chicago, in the lobby of the, ho the main hotel. I've got tears streaming down my face. And of course, looking at these pictures, which we can't publish, you can't, you know, they're, they're just too, too private. And watching people sort of avoid, <laughs> Norris is crying like a baby. I, well, I'm just going to avoid, <laughs> avoid this. And I was like, this is so cool, but I can't show you either. Uh, that uh, it was staggering because it, you know, it taps into it. You know, there's research in like, if they're having trouble with a medical diagnosis, draw me your disease or draw me your injury. And they'll say, son of a gun. I didn't know that. Look, they got a, a boo-boo on their liver here that they couldn't have picked up any other way and, and, until they went and looked for it. That you're tapping into it. But when the reality is, as an instructor, when you see people change, as an educator, you want to see that. You're working with entrepreneurs to see them change is, is very powerful, especially, and we live in a world now where nobody is just trying to make a buck. They're all trying to, to help the world in some way. The younger generation, uh, has, has, in a lot of ways, has really stepped up. You know, this, you know, having an 11-year-old who's interested in, got, he's got a business idea, and he, he knows which two of the sustainable development goals this will help. I had to go look it up to make sure he got it right, but uh, there are 17 of them. But, but and pretty much anything you do will fall under, fall under one of those goals. But it is astounding to see that, that people are, you know, are thinking that. And you take that out to the community level, there are, you know, that, you know, there, there isn't a community, no matter how affluent and successful, that isn't wrestling with something. And for a lot of communities is, you know, the way to, you know, to really make a living is, is to figure out something that, Creates value for others. Right. So, so it kind of comes around, and I thought I'm being just terribly philosophical, and it, and, you know, it still involves a lot of people yelling at people for not testing the assumptions. Not, you're not A/B testing that critical assumption in your business campus. Uh, but you know, I, I'm excited now that you know the crediting bodies want business schools to demonstrate their impact. Not sure they really defined it terribly well. But if there's any group in the in, in the business school who can demonstrate impact on so many levels, it's you know it's entrepreneurship. Of course, I'm totally biased, but uh, as you should be. Well, I should be. Well, you know, yeah, but I'm not. Gonna, I'm not sure I'm saving any lives, and so I'm jealous of you. But uh, that it's sort of fun. But it's and it's also. <clears throat> With all the aggravations and the pain, <clears throat> like doing some deep customer discovery on a venture idea I had, and finding out that I had a, I was right. There were a lot of people would say, "I will, I will kill you if you don't make me a beta customer." Oh, but I don't have any money. Thanks, I guess. Right. It was important to know that that where this burning the demand was wasn't as burning as you know it was all. A millimeter, a millimeter thick, and it would have been very easy for my my associates to, to pour resources into something that would have been 
um, hideously embarrassing as well as <laughs> as well as financially painful. So, but there's still a lot of of, of joy. It's, it's kind of like the entrepreneur finds out something about the market. You know, it's not that much different from a scientist seeing the results of an experiment that no one's ever seen before. That novelty, you know, drives people. It scares a few people in the world um, if, if they're not used to it. It's that cognitive load thing again. Right. You know, you know, if you've gone through a marine boot camp and you, you go to the gym and, the, you know, the, the spin instructor wants you to pedal faster, it's not quite as big a deal <laughs> as it is for me. I go, I'm, I'm pedaling as fast as I can. I got old skinny legs. Anyway, uh, yeah, not a good one to go to the gym, but I much you, rather work out for myself when I can yell at myself. Agreed. What 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 do you think? You okay. hang around entrepreneurs a lot. What do you think separates successful entrepreneurs from the unsuccessful? There's there's a lot of noise in the process, no matter what you do. You're dealing with novel stuff, and Mark Twain once said it's very hard. Uh, to forecast, especially about the future, uh, that <laughs> that it's sort of that balance of of being a, a persistence and getting reality checks. That you have to be open, like a scientist, you need to be open to disconfirming information. That just because something ought to be true, oh my God, it's got to be true. If it isn't. Uh, there's a lot of pain, well, not, and not just for, for you, your investors, your employees, your family. That, but you know, you know, pushing beyond what is reasonable, but not, you know, not so much as. I mean, there are all these great stories. You know, Henry Ford failed four times before Ford Motor Company took off. How many different light bulbs did did Edison try and his staff try? Except Edison. He knew there had to be one of these would work, and in medical and medical research, there's got one of these formulas has to work. We just don't know where to start, and you know we're unlucky. We're on the 700 version versus the seven. I think that's important. I think the openness, you know, to to the disconfirming information is very important. And that means having people who will tell you the truth. And I don't think this is just an entrepreneur thing. Uh, uh, my friends joke that I don't wear shorts because there's so many dents in my shins from my friends kicking me under the table when I say something stupid. <laughs> or I talk too much, which is, you know, not much help. But having people who will be, be honest with you, is, I think that's really important. And that usually means you have to be or get to be honest with them. Um, you know, I, I, I've only had once I <clears throat> talk, try to talk someone out of getting married a week before the wedding. And I failed. She left him at the altar, so it worked out. <laughs> it sort of worked out. And still had the party. Yeah, but is that's a very tricky thing. You have to learn, get a sense of who you can can trust and knowing that even your most trusted, most knowledgeable friends, they, they too can be wrong. 
Uh, so there's a lot of forgiveness, I think, it's part of that process. But I think great entrepreneurs are always learning. They're always trying to grow. Not always successfully, but I think the effort, effort matters. And, but it's not really about an entrepreneur. Is I think at the end of the day, understanding this isn't about making a buck or starting a business. It's about creating value. And, and I, I still remember somebody had, had managed to get the answer. I said, okay, do you know what a Venn diagram is? Yes. Okay, you got two circles. Okay, one, this is entrepreneur, social entrepreneur. And then you ask people, what does the Venn diagram look like? You know, are they separate? Are they overlapping? Are they the same? I said, well, the people who said it was the same included, you know, the founder of Ashoka, Bill Gates, Richard Branson. They all said, yeah, it's pretty much the same thing. You can't really separate. And this infuriates a lot of people. But on the other hand, you know, people have, you know, they've, they've sort of studied this. This mental picture you have entrepreneur has to, at the end of the day, is not about, it's about the process, which is the value creation, not necessarily about the, the outcomes of, of getting paid. But if you do it right, I mean, that was one of the original theories of entrepreneurship is you create positive rents and, and or positive externalities for all of your stakeholders. And whatever's left over, you keep which could be pretty juicy if you play it right. The theory of resilience, the residual claimant. Um, I'm not sure it's completely, as an econ economist, think highly of that uh, for various reasons, but it, it kind of makes sense. It's, you have a great choice as an entrepreneur to go out and decide, you're going to decide what rents you're going to create, what value you're going to create for your customers, for your suppliers for your employees, for your community, even for your competitors. That was the thing that surprised, you know, uh, it, it's, there's a word co-optition, that you're in a complex economic web where, okay, in market A, I'm selling to you. Market B, you're selling to me. Right. Market C, we're trying to kill each other. And that's completely normal because that's the way humans have done business for a millennium. And now, of course, Silicon Valley thinks they invented it, but it's that we're in this, you know, we're in this world. And the more entrepreneurs understand, you know, you know, that's again part of that dynamic is understanding that we're all in this together. And and I think that once they you think in terms of, you know, I'm going to decide how much rent this customer, how much value this customer gets versus this customer. I'm making some decisions that I, I need to take responsibility for. And there's nothing more diabolically fun to watch someone create, one of my friends, creating great value for his biggest competitor or his closest competitor. Because by strengthening, okay, he's here, competitor's here, big bad gorilla is over here. Basically, he built a wall against the really bad big competitor. So everybody's happy. And big competitor didn't care about that market, part of the market anyway, but they always, Microsoft and Google all say that. They always, they always say, and we're not really interested. How many zeros on the check? Uh, that's, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, it's interesting because I haven't really thought about an answer to 
uh, that particular question. So I'm going to have to hear the tape back and say, like, oh, God, what did I say? But they remember they create value that they, they're, pers they're persistent but not insane, not, not stubborn. That, you know, what's the question? Strong, hold your, you know, strong beliefs held loosely as the cliche. Be strong and committed, but be prepared for disconfirming information. And we don't do that naturally. So having people who will kick you under the table is really valuable. And I, I just hope certain people don't hear this because they'll come over, they'll, they'll put on their masks and come over here and kick me. <laughs> hey, that would be an app, a little thing on the floor that would just like kick you when your, your friends can go. <clears throat> I mean, they've got a virtual tickle machine now that you can like tickle people from like, I think totally pointless, but. Hey, it created value, I guess. I, I so, guess what so. Else? so where where do we go next here? I I feel like I'm over explaining. No, over no, you're you're fine. I, I saw I saw a a question that was posed to you, and I think this was several years ago. And the question that they gave you, and I'm gonna give you the answer you gave, but I want to see if your answer changed. Someone <laughs> asked you, what was the biggest mistake that entrepreneurs make? And you answered at this time, I think this was 2017. They take on venture capital too soon. I thought that was an interesting answer. I agree with well, that. That was in a context for that. Yeah. But one of the things that a lot of communities uh, at an early stage ecosystem, they think, well, we just, we only had more venture capital. We had only had more angel capital. Uh, we had more outside equity. We'd be in, in a great shape. People don't think there's a, with all the VC that's, pouring into the market to, right now in Silicon Valley, there are people that are still saying we don't have enough. Wow. So like, uh, what are they thinking about? But the reality is, why would you give up, needlessly give up a piece of your ownership? You need to have a pretty good reason for doing that. And a lot of them is that I'm gonna get, okay, you're gonna give me a million dollars for 25% of my company. But this other VC is gonna give me a million dollars for 20% of my company. Why would I pick you instead, even though we were, it seems like a lesser deal? Why would I pick you? Hopefully the person is bringing something to the table, network, Absolutely, access, you something. got it. That uh, you, you understand is that the money is only a, a piece of the puzzle. There's experience, there are contacts, there are the kick under the table uh, that sometimes the slap above the table. Uh, that is that understanding, but, and it, but you talk to VCs, this is their job to invest. Uh, what do you call venture capitalists whose investments go, go south? in trouble. What do you call a venture capitalist who doesn't make any investments? Fired. Sort of like a bank loan officer. Their part of it is, is they, VCs at least, they have a vested interest. They don't succeed unless you succeed. Right. But a good bank, find you, you need a banker, find a banker who thinks like that too. That, and they are, there's plenty, actually plenty of them out there. But one of the things that, I listening to someone complain that 
you know, the companies that made the Inc. 500, Inc. 5000 fastest growing companies in, in, in the country, Inc. Magazine, the ones who fill out the form and send it in, the 5,000 fastest of those, is, well, none of these companies have taken any outside equity. Well, surprise, surprise, the Inc. 500, there's 400 more of them. I think one year is as high as 460. 470 had taken no outside capital. They bootstrapped. Okay, you're growing at 60% a year and you're bootstrapped. Yeah, of course. Banks can say, okay, how much you need? Fine. The guard at the door can fill out the form for you. You're good. We're good. We know you're good. And you're going to go and give up a chunk of your company. Well, the, the great thing about, you know, we're, we live in a world where if you need advice, there is more of it than you can shake a stick at. Some bitch crap. That, that's the real problem is taking, I would say now, is taking advice from, you know, the, the people with lofty job titles. So that there are people they, you know, that, because they, they have this sort of limited view of things that maybe do, well, it, you're not cool unless you're getting, you know, outside equity. Uh, and it's probably wrong to say you're, you should only bootstrap uh, that. Uh, but I think that, you know, sitting here and watching, I, and especially when it's a new support organization, we just launched our Idaho Business Center. And of course, by because of federal law, you can't be just for, it can't be just for women, but their charter is really for underrepresented populations, okay. especially rural. So like, oh, it's all again, okay. We already have a strong Hispanic chamber. I know businesses that have joined the Hispanic chamber and not the regular chamber because the Hispanics are more fun. They actually like help each other. Um, that you, you know, the getting going out and finding who are the right people to, to the right advice and also the right ones for you. It doesn't matter if someone's going to give you great advice, but you hate their guts. Yeah, probably not, not going to, probably not going to happen. Uh, you know, understanding the strengths and weaknesses of that. I think and that's, you know, this whole ecosystem model has been very helpful because you realize you've got multiple options. You don't like, you know, I'm not a fan of SCORE, but there are good SCORE counselors. Not a fan of SCORE. That probably means they would be good for me, maybe not for you, but, and vice versa. But is understanding, you know, the really great connectors in the community. Like, if I could call it that, our local bank, Zion Bank, has a business resource center that is just there to help businesses. And Gina, who runs it, and her predecessor Karen before her, they they were that say you should you need a lawyer, a, a patent attorney. Okay, I know you now. You should go to talk to X, not Y. Norris, you should go talk to Z. Is it just you know you get to know you get you have someone who you know, it's just like your friends saying you need to go talk to, uh, you know, not just you need to go talk to someone, but you need to talk to, that's the, the best person you should, you should go speak with. And, you know, it's sort of easy. There are a lot of, you know, accounting firms that, you know, are very focused on family firms. They really know their stuff on family firms. Others are better at growth firms. And so on the same way with lawyers, with um and, you know, we live in a world that 
Uh, I know companies, they don't have a lot of money. They're not very far along, but they, have, they basically, they rent a few hours a week a CFO. Right. They, they're empl- all their HR is being handled through a professional employer organization. We got one incredible one here in Boise. I, but if I started a business, I would not want to hire anybody. That's just the worst ever. Now we go, oh, I got to hire people. Steve? I don't actual access. Yeah, give me Steve. I need to hire three people. Done. Click. You know, and it's like we live in this world where, you know, that, you know, if, if you can get to the right device, so it, it's amplifying the, the connector. So I, I would say I would revise my answer to say is, is, is to find the best, you know, they fail because they don't go out and, and, and talk to as many connectors as they can. Now, when and, you talk about connectors, you're really kind of talking about the, the entrepreneurial ecosystem, or am I? Yeah. It, I mean, at the heart of it is, if you think about, I mean, when you think of draw as an engineer, in, in, in engineer, you know, in an engineer, you were a electrical engineer? Computer engineer. Well, there are three kinds, they, they talk about three kinds of networks. There's sort of a centralized network where there's a hub and everything spokes out of that. A decentralized network where there's several of those those hubs, and a distributed network that's pretty flat. And communities tend to actually be this flat distributed network. So there's a premium on people that can help you navigate that. And it means that everybody. It also is empowering. Is that everybody is a bit of a connector. You know, if I can, so I'm interested in you know healthcare entrepreneurship in, in, in Cleveland. You know, there are a couple of people in Cleveland. I, you know, I call, you know, the, the GEW guy, Suchi, I'd say, like, you know, who do you know? But I would go, I would see, okay, who are the people I need to talk to? Who are the people I shouldn't talk to? <laughs> that, that, because it makes it very, you know, personal. It's very hard for it to be a mechanical system. Uh, there, there's an, maybe the, Best of the bunch out there is a company called SourceLink out of Kansas City, okay. and they help communities to map their ecosystem and figure out their resources. And that they typically set up a system. Well, okay, I I go to their resource navigator on the, on the web and go, okay, and I am this kind of business. I need this kind of help in this sort of situation. Hit a button and it will tell me who are my best choices to, to work with. Okay. But what you really need, though, is a human to help you because you still may, might, might have to make choices. Oh, we didn't update the, the database. It'll be easy to find because he's, uh, he's now in jail for fraud. Uh, yeah, maybe you don't want to talk to him. Uh, laugh, laugh, but that it's again this thing about sort of matching people in terms of personality. And a lot of, and in larger communities, you really need to, you may want to focus on locality. Do you really want to take the bus or drive all the way around across town when there's somebody 99% as good uh, two blocks from you? There are a lot of subtleties you really need. You crowdsource the, the, the ecosystem, but it's still curated. Uh, you know, gently, perhaps, but that 
it's still about and being able to do that warm introduction is like, oh man, just call call him, just tell him I told you to call. But you might still want to say, well, would you do the intro? And I did that back. Uh, I did that Sunday, and by the end of the day yesterday, I'm, I made the introduction. They're connected, but the person I was connecting them to is a local, brilliant local lawyer. We're still on. We're still, you know, that's nice, and we're still talking about something completely different because we hadn't caught up in a while. We forget, you know, kept getting reply all, but uh, it's sort of useful. We we may be at war later this year, which will also be interesting. She thinks non-compete clauses are brilliant. I think they are. They are satanic. Um, we're probably both a little bit right, but. Uh, She's not someone I want to go to, go to war with. She's smarter and better talker than me. And she's ruthless because she's a liar. Um, I only have is all I have is lunacy to uh, to, to compete with. Um, but that's uh, you know, again these, uh, identifying these uh, these connections. Sorry. In, in, the in chair I'm sitting on seems to be uh, wanting to die, but oh well. And it's, uh, and of course, as soon as I'm doing that, there's somebody, there's a window to my right, and somebody's going, like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> um, it must be a happy hour somewhere. So anyway, I think the answer is getting, you know, is to take advantage of the connectors and, and pay it forward, because once you, in that process, you get to be, it could be a little bit of a connector. That uh, there's a classic experiment called the small world, and this professor said, "Okay, I want everybody in the experiment. We want to get you get this. You know, here's this guy in random business guy in Massachusetts. Okay. I think he had a men's clothing store. Like, I don't know anybody know anybody in Massachusetts. Fine, send." message to whoever whoever you think would be most likely to know someone who could do that and some never got there some got there and like they just accidentally found someone who actually did know the guy but it was like three bounces and they replicated that we're all within this three degrees of, of, of kevin bacon and our this world is exciting you look at linkedin going you know, like, do you know anybody, you know, who's in food distribution in Cutter? And I'm like, LinkedIn. Right. I've got three second degree connections. They're all through the same same cat. And all right, okay. You know, who should my friend talk to? And would tell me, start here. Don't do the last one. Do the person. Maybe the second, and maybe you could get them to play play off each other if you're trying, you know, you're haggling, but don't do the third guy. But he seems very connected to the government. He says, well, that's kind of the problem. He's kind of, he's connected enough that if he screwed my friend, I mean, this is, I hardly know, I mean, people are, are willing, you know, if you're honest, they're going to be honest with you. 
There, yes, there are weasels. I'm sure there are weasels, lots of weasels out there. But you can usually figure them out. Or the web will find that for you. Very true. And, uh, but I'm one of those weirdos who has long and long thoughtful discussions on Twitter. We hardly ever say, you suck. No, you suck. When we tried that, it was really hard. One guy's wife got on and yelled at him for saying, suck. But, which has got to be one of the funniest moments of that month. Um, yes, dear. Um, I've learned to say yes, dear, finally. But it's, uh, I think this the taking advantage of this connectivity and, and being part of that connectivity is it, it just so. Um, again, like the SourceLink people, they did a, a, a blog last year. Of, okay, you want to help entrepreneurs, you don't have any time. What can you do in less than an hour? Go make an intro. Just call someone up and say, Curtis, how's your PhD going? Hang in there, man. Or you suck, you know, whatever. Because healthcare managers, those people are just evil. Uh, it is, and I think that that's, uh, and that's, we don't do enough of that in, in academe, but the web is helping, helping with that. If I read a journal article today, it's because someone, Curtis said, you've got to read this. Like, I don't know anything about healthcare management, but if Curtis says it's a good article, I'll read it. And the odds are, because you know me, it'll be, it will be good. So I also, they're like, there's some young, you know, doctoral student, junior faculty in Kazakhstan or somewhere. Like, oh, you know, I, I don't know if this paper is very good. Would you, you know, can, would you read it? Those are often brilliant too, because they haven't had anybody to tell them there's, you know, well, I'm sorry, you need to use a different font. Your language doesn't have enough passive voice in the sentences. I actually got yelled at once by an editor saying I needed more passive voice. It didn't sound stilted academic-ish. Got it. So I just made the sentences longer, <laughs> which I tend to do anyway. Uh, but yeah, this is embrace the, human, the humanness of this. Is you know is when you okay when you're reading a journal article or you've read a you know or seen a report and you really like what the author has to say, promise me that you will see if you know if you're connected to him in some way on LinkedIn or whatever. And but don't be afraid to say, hey, I loved I loved what you wrote. In the old days, we would have to write a letter. And mail it to the authors who could I get a copy of your article? And the typical response was, Thank you. You're the second person to ask for it. The other was my mom. Ha ha ha. <laughs> Good running joke, but people appreciate that. And they remember, you know, that they would remember now, you know, it's now social media, but that. You know, someone like I remember, you know, I think I really like this. The next thing I you know, said, you got to join this LinkedIn group. Do I have to? Yeah, maybe I should. Turned out to be brilliant. Opened my eyes to all sorts of things. So, whatever it is, as, as a scholar, as, a, as an entrepreneur, as a person, that, you know, that we, we live in a glorious time. And just wait till we all brain chips and don't even have to log in. 
<laughs> right. People your age are going, that's cool. I'm going, oh God, Skynet. But if Skynet had quantum computing, uh, it would have ended badly for the humans. Uh, by the way, you, you do under, did you ever watch the show Game of Thrones? I love that show. You understand that's not about some medieval kingdom. That's about American academia. Those are universities. The Lannisters are always winning. <laughs> but every once in a while, the Starks get theirs. And also, get yourself a dragon. And if you need me to, sp- you know, to, to spray hellfire on anybody, I'm at your service. I'm not sure I'm a dragon, but... I mean, if you thought being on the smartest thing in, the, in that universe was Drogon, when he realized, damn, Thrones the problem... That's it. Very true. Plus, I'm thinking, I would love to take Drogon for a walk down the street, see what happens to the cats. I'm talking to Anyway, so what else can we talk? What else do we need to talk about? Here's the last question for you How does policy affect entrepreneurship? Policy? Policy. Policy badly <laughs> is that policymakers and, and policy implementers really don't understand what entrepreneurship is about. They do see this as sort of a clockwork economic, and because entrepreneurs are so so diverse and weird and disruptive that it makes them uncomfortable. I uh, I remember. Uh, Whatever that was. Last time when Ralph Nader ran for president, he actually spoke and waved and he said his idea would be to unionize all small businesses. So if you have one person, you're the only person there, you could unionize yourself. He said, We haven't worked out the details. But he said, We shouldn't have any, we should have businesses. The idea was that would be responsible to their external stakeholders. And some in the audience says, mean like customers? Mm. No, no, more important than customers. And it's like, um, you know, it was, he was a little past his sell-by date at that point anyway. But they, they don't really understand the, 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 what it is that entrepreneurs and small businesses want. They, it's like marketing, trying to tell a customer what they need as opposed to listening to what they want. And that's, you know, and for instance, you know, in, in, in sort of the current last few years, the biggest, a big hurdle that is top on people's list are, are excessive and stupid uh, regulations. You have regulation that doesn't work, in fact, makes things worse. And why is it so hard to roll that back? And there are some structural reasons. Uh, it's very hard to remove a federal law. You have to replace it with something. But that people thinking, well, quit whining. And how could they? We want to play things safe, but they're not talking. To, even when they're sympathetic, they're not. They're not on the same page. So I think policy would work better if you actually heard from the entrepreneurs and not the people who claim to speak for them. Even you and I. Right. I mean, I if there were a hundred entrepreneurs in a listening session. I could predict what they're going to ask for, but I'm not going to say it. I, they, it has to be their voice. They have to feel like it's, it's their voice. 
and there has to be some response. When you know the government says, "I agree with you. This is a great idea," and nothing happens, that's that you know that that erodes you know, the trust. But the flip side is that the more that you can generate trust, saying we're going to do this, that, and sometimes you know that means you know Seattle. Uh, had appointed an ombudsman for a new and small business. And she got around to go kick people and under the table about regulations and God knows what. And she did so well, she got hired away at twice the salary and oh well. But the entire country of Australia tried doing that and that worked until it pissed off the big businesses. That's another side of it we don't, you know, that sometimes large industry likes regulatory barriers because it keeps the competitors out. Right. In the 90s, uh, my friend did a study, basically, why are, there, are big polluters promoting anti-pollution legislation? And they were designed, you really couldn't it deterred entry. Mm. So, but it, it really comes back to educating the, the system. I would suggest, if I can make uh, plugs for a friend of mine, please, that there is righttostart.org uh, is being run by Victor Wong, my friend who used to run the entrepreneurship stuff at Cox. And he's decided he's embracing this question. He's one of, of, of at least a handful of people really out there pushing on it. And he, they've got, got a manifesto and they you know got some policy ideas. And there is a, a startusupnow.org, a, a coalition or a bunch of organizations that, that said, let's what are all the tested good ideas that would help new and small business? Never did not 25 pages, but if you go to startusupnow.org, America's new business plan. Most of it is, is evidence-based. Uh, it's fairly logical. Most of it is not expensive. Some of, it is, some of these things are very expensive. Like let's pay off everybody's student debt, which is, 50 cent, 50% higher than our credit card debt. Uh, might be a bit, might be a bit hard, but there's a lot of stuff that's common sense and all that. But it doesn't matter if nobody evangelizes it. That said, okay, I know I live in Idaho. I know our legislators. I I can go and say, could we write a bill for this? And a lot of it doesn't involve, involve legislation. Just stop doing this stupid stuff. Right. Or do more of the good stuff. It doesn't cost a thing. Which is, the, is wonderful, except that sometimes civic officials get suspicious if it's free. It's not important. You can't fight over it if it's free. I, I can't pretend to understand all that. But you know, one thing that entrepreneurs can do, and, I would, and maybe you can't do it in California, but, you know, I've testified to a committee hearing in the Ohio, in the Ohio legislature. I mean, that was back in the dawn of time where, you know, we had, you know, we were carrying candles, but uh, we had invited Bennett Fire. I'm not sure we had electricity then. That was so long ago, back in the, back in the 80s. Uh, but legislators are actually happy to hear people who aren't lobbyists. Oh, a real person's coming in. <laughs> and, you know, I go to like, you know, do I have to be very serious? Or, you know, my, 
should I add levity to? I can usually tell by their their, their body language. Uh, I I got some movement. Actually, the, my biggest impact was you have the co-chair of this very serious Senate committee in Idaho. But I know all I know about these guys is they're an insane football fans. They would know about the case football team. They only know your name of university if it's they'd seen their mascot on yes, yes. Well, they knew I'm an Ohio State guy. And I said, well, I, I've got, there's a, a new piece of research just came out that it, it speaks to this issue perfectly. I mean, it demolishes the opposite, the opposing viewpoint. It's our non-compete clauses. But I'm hesitant to share it with you. And they're like, oh, why? Well, he's from the University of Michigan. And they started giggling, smirking and giggling. Come on, don't be a wimp. Shared the research findings. And they said, oh, okay, what else do you got? Usually you, know, you get your two or three minutes and then if they want more, if you, if you, they want more then you can give, they'll say get more. Right. Got this discussion going. I sat down and these guys go, I know that had to be hard for you to, to say glowing words about those Wolverines. I went, <laughs> like, he even knows our nickname for them. Anyway, it, it's, uh, Boise, being in Boise and Boise State football being a big deal, it, it, it's not hard. But it's it's interesting because I could you know, people in the audience are like going, like, but every one of them they've got an angle. You, know, you know, if you're smart, you've got some sort of angle. So you're not just I I'm in favor of this bill. Thank you. But you know, even doing that, uh, that and entrepreneurs don't realize that, and you know. If somebody of some, you know, trade group representing, you know, the tech sector or whatever is testifying, you can say, well, okay. But they hear people from that tech sector. Like, oh, I'm gonna tell you what Micron technology, our biggest and global employer, what they want. That's fine. If if some middle-level engineer at Micron said the exact same words, it would hit twice as hard. Mm-hmm. You know, after all, I have a PhD, how trustworthy could I possibly be? Oh, sorry, shouldn't have said that before you graduated. <laughs> but, but I think it's, it comes down again down to the, 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 the human side of thing because you know, all politics is ultimately local. That they're, you know, they, they, yes, they want to get reelected, and yes, but yes, they also want to, they want to create value and give them an opportunity, show them that there are possibilities. Here is something, you know, it's, you know, they're, you know, reading about, the, you know, there's some building development in, on basically on top of a mountain in Colorado, but they've got to comply with post-Katrina anti-flooding regulations. I have no idea how that got screwed up that badly, but it never got enforced, but it was still like, and the, the stories are good. Facts are good. Weaving them together into the a narrative, it's just like, you know, whether it's selling a research paper or making your venture pitch, it's ultimately that you know, entrepreneurs, you know, it, it's a lot, 
the, the more you're in that web of, of, of human connection, the easier it is to communicate. You know, I'm, you know, it's like, yes, it's funny to go up to a Mormon bishop and offer him a beer once. Depends. Usually you can get them to buy you beer, by the way. They're not, they're not forbidden to buy me beer. And they don't want to admit that because they know the trap that is. And you can always get a Muslim to buy you beer. They say, well, I can do that. I recommend the stout. <laughs> I was like, well, yeah, I invested in this beer place. Like, religion is interesting. But, hey, it's all... Religion is like everything else, creating value. Mm -hmm. And as long as we never lose sight of it, because sometimes you have to destroy value to get there. You have to, you know, the way it gales of creative destruction that Schumpeter talked about. But ultimately, you know, finding ways, you know, is the world better off if I write another little fiddly journal article? Hard to get excited. That's why the agent provocateur is in, in my in my bio. <laughs> I can lob a grenade, now we'll see. Because um, there's nothing better than someone picks up the grenade and throws it back. Mm. I was wrong. Because you know, I'll get them next time. Because um, sometimes, you know, it's like in poker. You lose, have to lose a few hands to win, win the game. Because what you learn along the way, I, that's the thing that drives students crazy is there was in the early 1900s, there was a famous gambler called Nick the Greek, mostly the world's greatest gambler. He said, he says, I'm not a gambler. I'm a better. Gambling is a loser. I'm making calculated bets. But he, for a long time, he was in the Guinness World Book of Records of having lost the single largest poker hand in history. It was like 1905, $750,000. That'd be like five or six million today. But after two and a half days of the game, he left up more than two million. He said, I would not have won the two million if I hadn't lost the 700,000. Now, whether he's BSing or not is, you know, but. It makes a certain amount of sense that you know you have to be able to to, to ride that and and entrepreneurs like anybody else in life you have to you know you have to surf the waves it's just more urgent and more visible when you're the entrepreneur you know you can't bs your way out of yeah nobody bought nobody bought the the widget that was blue and you made more than because you thought blue was cooler and you sold out of the red, and now all everybody they're they're mad at you, and your competitors are making blue widgets. You know that reality is the bitch, and might as well uh, you know accept the real. And it makes it hard for the people who want everything to be as they wish it were. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Business Theologist Podcast. Please share, subscribe, and rate this podcast so others can find us too. If you would like to connect with me, please use the links in the show notes of this episode. Please feel free to connect with me on social media as well. I welcome the opportunity to connect and hear from you. Have a blessed week. Until next time.